0: Anti-Catholic forces have taken over every single elite institution in America. Wouldn't you like to know their devious plans? And wouldn't you like to have a call to arms on how to get out of this incredible mess? Well, we have with us today on the John Henry Weston Show, Austin Ruse, known to many of you as the... Head of the Center for Human Rights at the UN, lobbying for life and family. He's been a great Catholic activist for many, many years and a dear friend. We're going to learn from him about all this, covering his new book, Under Siege. You're going to want to stay tuned. Austin Ruse, welcome to the program.
1: I'm very happy to be with you.
0: Let's begin as we always do with the sign of the cross. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen. Now, Austin Ruse, I know, as I said in the intro, uh, is known to many of you as the head of the Center for the Family and Human Rights at the UN, lobbying for life and family. But uh, he's been a close friend for years, and he's one of those guys who has really swum through the trenches of the horrific state of the world, and that's why I wanted to talk about his book *Under Siege*. Uh, just an incredible thing. But I want to give you a snapshot first of Austin's faith. An incredible man of faith. Austin, tell us a little bit about uh, yourself and your faith life.
1: Oh gosh, you know I am a I, I am a convert, um, converted uh, uh, in 1989. I dedicate uh, the book uh, actually to, as I say in the book, three men who I read into the church. Uh, they include Thomas Merton, William F. Buckley, and Anthony Burgess. Um, not many people know that Anthony Burgess, who wrote Clockwork Orange, was um, church-haunted all of his life. He, he was a non-practicing Catholic, um, but he was church-haunted, and uh, pretty much all of his books were about some aspect of Catholic theology. Uh, Clockwork Orange, for instance, is about free will. And it was it was through Clockwork Orange that I, that I learned about free will for the first time. Um, uh, so uh, I'm a practicing Catholic, you might say devout Catholic, um, try to go to mass every day, say the rosary every day, you know, mental prayer, uh, aspirations, you know, all the good stuff that That help us live continuously in the presence of our Lord. And, um, you know, I I like to point out, and we can get into this more because it's an important part of the book. uh, In in, uh, the Hail Mary, uh, we say pray for us now and at the moment of our death. And those are the two moments that we have to care most about. We can't get all jammed up about the past and we can't be all worried about the future. We have to worry about this present moment and are we going to do the right thing? Are we discerning, discerning the right spirits? What are we going to do? And then pray uh, for the moment uh, of our death so that we will be welcomed into the beatific vision. Um, so that, that's kind of what I try to do throughout the day.
0: Okay, well, you've laid out, I mean, speaking of not being worried about the future, you have laid out some of the darkest reality that we're living in. You, you have uh, uncovered the shield for many people who might be living under a rock somewhere. Um, the, you pull back the curtain on the horrific realities. In fact, you might say that, and you do say that, every elite institution in America has been basically taken over by anti-Catholics. Explain if you would.
1: In the book, I quote uh, T.S. Eliot um, a a couple of times. um, I am Lazarus, come from the dead, come back to tell you all, I shall tell you all. And that's kind of what I have done in my work and in my journalism these last 24 years. Um, I have um, stared into the abyss and then tried to tell the story um, to a wider audience. You know, it's like what Judith Reisman did, you know, who just... Who just passed. I just my column tomorrow at Crisis about about Judith. So yeah, what I have tried to do in the book, first of all, is to show people it's far darker than anybody really knows. And the reason that I know this is because I spend my time looking at it. Uh, most people, for instance, have never heard of a company called MindGeek. Uh, the the MindGeek family of websites get more traffic than Facebook. And it is the hardest core pornography in the world. And these are the guys that invented streaming of hardcore pornography for free, modeling themselves on YouTube early on. And they've gotten fabulously wealthy uh, in the process.
0: And naturally, they're in Canada and Montreal.
1: <laughs> yes. Yes, they are. Um, so, that you know, they're taking it in the chops lately. And, and I think that that's really encouraging. As uh, Roy in uh, Blade Runner said, I've seen things you people wouldn't believe. Um, and, you know, it's, Kathy and I joke about how we wished we didn't know all the things that we know, uh, because Kathy, you know, from her earliest days in this movement was a porn fighter, you know, and she worked with, with Scott Hahn's uh, uh, father-in-law. Um, so, uh, you know, we have seen things people wouldn't believe. And the other side gets by by preventing us from seeing. They don't want us to see. Um, and and people like us don't want to see. So we're kind of a little bit in a bind. But in the book, I mean, I don't go into gross detail in the book, but I, I go through a broad range of issues that show how dark the world is that we're really living in. And, and, and I also make an assertion that I don't know that anybody has made. And, you know, the assertion is... Uh, usually made, that all these things are a new religion. And I think that that's exactly correct. They are. But I go further and say all of these things have become an established religion in the United States and and perhaps even in Canada. In the United States, in the First Amendment, there's a prohibition against the federal government establishing a, uh, a religion, but the federal government has. And I start with the school prayer decisions in 1962, putting aside what that, the prayer is so mild you know, that, that, was, that was struck down by the Supreme Court. Uh, it was written by a committee of Catholic, Protestant, Jew, um, and it, practically any believer can say this prayer. Um, so put aside this, the, t- the subject of the prayer and look at what the Supreme Court did. Up until that moment, there was a healthy debate in the United States about who are we as a people, are we a Christian people or are we a secular people? Do we have a, basically a Christian country or a secular country? And this was a this was a vigorous debate from before our founding until 1962. But in the school prayer decision, the Supreme Court said for the very first time that the, the object and purpose of the government has to be secular. And what that means is they began moving... Um, religious believers out of the public square and began to institute their ideology through other court cases. The the, um, contraception decisions that followed in 1964 and 65, uh, the obscenity decision which opened the door to uh, pornography, Um, of course Roe v Wade in 1973, followed by the sodomy decisions that made sodomy a constitutionally protected human right, a civil right, and then Obergefell. And all of these things are now imposed on the rest of the country through the Department of Justice, through the court system, through the Department of Education, on down to the little elementary school a couple of miles from where I'm sitting, where they teach kids that sex is assigned at birth. That is an article of faith. This is a new faith. And so that's one of the unique arguments that I make in the book. I call it the rise of the new state church.
0: It's absolutely the case. And what, what's really fascinating is I think that, as you described, uh, Michael Bryan, a, a mutual friend of ours, a very wise man, has said of the work that we do, it's sort of swimming daily through the muck uh, that nobody wants to swim through and, and trying to shine a light on it. Um That, though, has prepared pro-lifers, pro-family people, especially those in the trenches like yourself, to recognize an evil that most people don't think possible. Who would knowingly foist upon little children Uh, drugs that are going to harm them for the rest of their lives because of their parents' predilection to have a girl of a particular sex or a particular sexual ideology. And yet this is going on today.
1: You know, we're always looking for a tipping point where people will wake up and (laughs) we never seem to get there. Um, um, And transgenderism is certainly one of them. Uh, In some ways, I think that Asa Hutchison the, uh, the governor of uh, Arkansas did us a favor by, um, by vetoing that bill, which would have banned puberty blockers, chemical castration for children, because he really put this on a larger scale than and, and introduced it to more people than knew about it before. You know, just a few years ago, there were one or two, quote, gender clinics in the United States, and now there's over 60. This, this has exploded. And, you know, I go on social media, as, as you know, Twitter, Uh, primarily, and and debate these issues with the other side, and they absolutely believe that such a thing is real and true and good, and that um, they say, oh, puberty blockers are reversible, Um, but, you know, once you begin to, once you begin to block your puberty, you're not going to get that stuff back that was blocked when that flood of hormones was needed to increase your height, your bone density, so on and so forth. So it is, it is massive child abuse that's going on in this country and around the world. And I, I, I talk a lot about that. And, and, and a measure of the fact that they don't truly believe all this stuff is the fact that they have to impose it upon us. As you know, in New York City, you can be fined upwards of $250,000 for persistently misgendering a customer. Now, if they truly believed... They might try to persuade, but they don't truly believe, and so they seek to impose. Um, so, you know, as, as we swim through the muck of this conversation, I want to give your viewers a little glimpse of the fact that there's great good news, too, uh, and, 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 and that is in some that God sent the likes of you and me at this desperate time to fight this fight, and how lame are we, um, as lame as the apostles were. Uh, you know, they, who weren't the A-team. So yeah, there's, there's people don't know how dark it really is. They don't know the danger that's really all around them. Um, and sadly, a lot of them don't know this remarkable epic that we're living through. And that, as I say in the book, there are halos hanging from the lowest branches of the trees. Um, all you need to do is reach up and grab one. Um, so, any, anyway, I, I, I want your, at, at this early stage in our conversation, I want your viewers to understand that I've got great theological hope.
0: That's truly fascinating. In fact, that's sort of my principal reason for wanting to speak with you. You had an awesome interview with Claire Chrétien from LifeSite News, and uh, I was so jealous. I used a little clip of it uh, uh, for one of my shows because I thought, wow, we need that line. It's so encouraging. And that was your line about that you have in the book about uh, this really being uh, a sort of no greater time to be a Catholic and this, this concept, which I just love, of... The halos being on the lowest branches today. Um, Go into that a little bit more, if you would just explain that for us, because it's such a beautiful concept and it's one that is it's so encouraging, but it it gives us a hope of not only uh, sustaining ourselves, during, but also thriving in this time.
1: I say that there's never been a finer time to be a faithful Catholic, not in spite of all the troubles all around us, but precisely because of them. Um, That we are here right now in in one of the great desperate fights of all time. And there are so many problems all around us. To make the world a better place to follow, you know, uh, the will of God, you don't have to do very much. Um, You know, write a check to your favorite um, uh, pro-life news site. Um, You know, uh, go go down to the local school board and shake the hand of the lone school board member who uh, has his head on right. You know, um, do some research for a local group that needs help. And all of these are just reaching up for these low halos hanging from the trees. There's not a lot you need to do to make the world a better place these days because we are awash in problems. We live in a target rich environment for doing good. You hardly have to do anything to, uh, to, to make the world a better place. And, and that's what I mean. Um, that's what I mean by lo- uh, halos hanging from the lowest branches of the trees. You know, it, it, when I was a kid, I worked in fast food and the boss said, if you have time to lean, you have time to clean. You know, grab a broom. Uh, you, you could, you know, it, it's like my wife and her friends went down to the school board for a year every two weeks and gave two-minute speeches about the transgender policy. You know, Stuff like that, you know, and people are worried about they're going to lose their jobs and things like that. And that's why there are so many things that they can do so to voce that uh, that don't need to be known. Writing checks, for instance, making phone calls. Um, there's a there's something for everybody to do. You know, in the pro-life movement, it's funny. The pro-life movement always takes it on the chops because they say, oh, the pro-life movement is so political. And we, you know, we don't have a Supreme Court and the U.S. Senate and blah, blah, blah. The pro-life movement is broad and deep and vast. It's not one thing. It's not just the political pro-life movement. It's people standing on street corners. It's people praying in front of abortion clinics. It's, it's groups challenging the leases of, of Planned Parenthood offices. It's, it's prayer circles. It's many things. And so is the pro-family movement. And so is all of this stuff. There's so much that people... I mean, like I like to say, Lila Rose sat around her dorm room and thought up making phony phone calls to Planned Parenthood. And look what happened with Lila Rose. Um, you know, the the movement against the darkness around us can be changed by sitting with people across the breakfast table and coming up with cool ideas.
0: One of the things you said, both in the book and and just now, you said, lame us. And there's a real beauty. There's a real touching beauty in that because it's, an ability to recognize our weakness, our lowliness, and yet do great things for Christ. One of the lines, um, you know, that we have uh, from the scriptures is I can I basically acknowledging this kind of weakness, um, but nevertheless saying I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. Um, get a little bit into that, if you would. That whole concept of the lame us.
1: The other side um, mocks us because we're so lame. You know, it's, it's like none of us work at Google. None of us went to Harvard. Uh, you know, uh, we're just, uh, meat and potatoes kind of people, regular pew sitters, and we make a lot of mistakes and maybe we don't say things exactly perfectly. And so what, you know, um, you don't have to say things perfectly. You just have to try, you know, um, my little joke, and I want your viewers to know that this is a joke. Um, he, he chose us because he wanted all the credit uh, <laughs> <laughs> and the, all the credit goes to him. Uh, you know, we are, we are the weak, blunt instruments of his will. Um, and I just like the apostles, you know, he, these guys, you know, look at them. They, they, they weren't, they, you know, they, they weren't the elite of their day. Tax collector, fisherman tapped on the shoulder, come and do this thing. Okay. You know, a small group of very determined people can change the outcome of big events. We've seen this at the UN. Uh, you know, it, it's like. The other side has tried for 24 years to make abortion a universally recognized human right, and a small group of very determined Christians has always stopped them, no matter what. They have have tried for 24 years to redefine the family, and a small group of determined Christians have stopped them. You know, people from your organization and and other Canadians, people from from Europe, people from the United States who don't know anything. You know, we sit in those rooms, and these are high-powered diplomats who laugh at us, who mock us, and we beat them every time. Uh, They have tried to put sexual orientation and gender identity as a new category of non-discrimination in international law, and they can't even get started on that. And they've been trying for 15 years. They mock us, they hate us, they lose to us. A small group of determined Christians can change the outcome of huge events.
0: Today, in fact, we sort of need that message more than ever before, because when we look at the landscape today, like we've never ever seen in the past, there is a a a, a power structure that's unreal that reaches not only into our you know personal lives through maybe our bank, it, really, it literally reaches to us at every moment of the day, everywhere you are, it can listen to you, watch you, it seems to know almost your thoughts um there's an invasion of privacy a collusion between big tech big government what in the world do you make of the current situation of the world today
1: this is one of the reasons that these are among the most desperate times that that the church has ever experienced because we are up against all the power centers of the world Uh, i wrote a column now five years ago for crisis uh the title of which was the corporations are the enemy and man is that now true in spades uh, corporations are the enemy and they are coming after us. I told a story in the book of a man that I knew who had a top job at uh, Time Warner many years ago in the magazine division. He was top editor. Um, and one day, some stunt nosed kid from Human Resources came in with a rainbow sticker and said, Can I put this on your door? And, and my friend said, No, a guy like that can't say no anymore. Um, I, I did a series of stories for Breitbart now many years ago. Um, about employees at JPMorgan Chase, um, the fourth largest financial institution in the world. And they did a global survey of all uh, uh, employees. And among the questions was, are you LGBT or an ally? Those were the choices. So what is, it, what is a believing practicing Catholic or other Christian supposed to do with a question like that? Because if you don't answer it, you can be tagged for education. You, you might miss a, a promotion you could get fired, you know, down the road. Um, So yeah, I don't think that we have faced this quite like this ever. Um, But again, I come right by the fact that we we are also living in a time of great saints and spiritual giants. We are also living in a time of um, true robustness of Orthodox faith. You know, um, you know when you look at uh, Father Groschel's guys bursting at the seams, and Sisters' of Life bursting at the seams, Institute of Christ the King. We went to Mass there in St. Louis over Easter, and it was, you know, it was busting out with people. Uh, so all over the Orthodox world, you can look at publishing. You know, look at look at Tan Books and St. Benedict and and Ignatius and uh, and Sophia Institute Press, my publisher, in the of, of under siege, um, Crisis Publications. I mean, we, we are living in a time of genuine robustness. You know what? Even our debate with those people at Patheos and Commentary or uh, uh, Commonweal common and uh, Where Peter Is, in an odd sort of a way, that's even a sign of health because it is a truly vital, engaging debate. Um, because the stakes are so high. Um, so yeah, some numbers are down. Some numbers are down. Um, you, know, I, I, you know, when, when Melinda Selmas and Damon Linker uh, formally left the church a few years ago, I wrote a column praising them for what they did. I called it the honest apostasy of Melinda Selmas and Damon Linker. And if we are shedding people who do not truly believe in the truths of the faith, it's better that they went someplace else rather than staying and stirring up trouble and, and wasting our time in debating about the truths of the faith, which we know are the truths of the faith. So I make the case in the book that we're living through one of the most important epochs that the church has ever known. Well, look at it this way. Let me, let me make one more point on that. The early church debated about Christ, who is Christ, what is Christ. A little later on, the church debated this great question of what is the church and we have been privileged to be on this planet during the third great debate, which is what is the human person? And we are privileged and blessed to be a part of that conversation. And a lot of, I don't want people to miss this opportunity uh, through fear. You know, I, I write a fair amount in the book about Rod Dreher and, and how he scares people, I think, half to death. Um, uh, I, I, I write about people who miss this time through distraction, you know, golf. Uh, video games, television, whatever, the, the March Madness. Um, and then there are people who miss it through nostalgia, dreaming of, you know, castles in the sky and previous days. And the moment is, pray for us now. The moment is now. This is what has been given to us. And I, I implore people not to miss it.
0: One of the greatest challenges that we're experiencing in the world today, and I would think greater than any time before in the whole of the church or perhaps the whole of the world is the challenge uh, coming from authority figures in the Church, um, directly confronting what seems to normal, faithful, lame Catholics, if you will, as just the truths of the faith. And yet, these confrontations are coming from Rome, from the mouth of the Pope in all these weird interviews. Um, it's coming from the likes of very celebrated priests like Father James Martin, who, in addition to being uh, at America Magazine and and so, you know, pub- in the publishing world so strong, but also appointed to the World Meeting of Cam- Families of Vatican uh, uh, organized conference to speak there, appointed as an um, papal advisor in the, in the Pontifical Commission on Social Communications. What in the world are we to make of this? That being one of the things that's probably most confusing for Catholics who want to be faithful or people looking to the inside of the church to think about coming in and wondering what's going on.
1: Well, without a doubt, we're living through a time of great confusion, and it's not helped by people like uh, Father James Martin. There's no question about that. Um, you know, I, I hesitate to say anything about uh, uh, Pope Francis, because I don't think it's my role. Um, uh, uh, you know, I, I spent the early part of his pontificate, you know, explaining, you know, that's not what he really meant, you know, this is what he really meant. Um, and that, that, has be, that is a challenge to this day, to, to explain what he really means. And, and, and you know, there, there are people who work very hard to explain what he really means and to show how it fits in with tradition and things like that. Um, the, the, it, it points out the fact that there is a need to help him communicate what he's really trying to say. The church has not changed its position on abortion. The church has not changed its tradition, on, its teaching on marriage. The church has not changed its teaching on contraception. I mean, I, I write about this in the book. When, uh, when John Kerry, there's good news on the bishop front, too. When John Kerry ran for president of the United States, I asked George Weigel how many bishops would uh, speak up about his dissents from Catholic teaching. And he said 35, and he was right on the money. Um, and then Obama goes to Notre Dame to get an award, and how many bishops complained about that? Yeah. 80. Okay, we'd like it to be more, but there was 80. And then came the debate about Obamacare. How many bishops spoke up about the fact that abortion was in, was in Obamacare? 200 did. Uh, some of them um, threatened to, uh, to, to go to jail. Uh, I kind of wish some of them had, uh, not because I have anything against the bishops, but it would be such a teaching moment if uh, a bishop went to jail over Obamacare or even the, sisters of, uh, you know, the little sisters of the poor went to jail. Um, I actually said that in a talk that I gave in, Obama, uh, in Omaha a few years ago and said that I wish that some of the little sisters of the poor uh, would have ended up going to jail. And don't you know, after the talk, up come a bunch of Little Sisters of the Poor that I didn't know were there. And they said that, they would, uh, that they, if, if they went to jail, they would reform the penal system. Uh, <laughs> and it was really quite remarkable because then they brought up this little old man who was a doctor whose, whose, final, whose miracle was what was attributed to their founder for her canonization a living, breathing miracle standing right before me. This is just a few years ago. Wow. We live in a remarkable time for the faith. We have we live in the time of uh, John Paul II, of of, um, uh, of Saint John Amola, of Saint Jose Maria Scriva. Uh, you know these three children that I wrote about in my book, Little Suffering Souls. Three children who died young. Uh, suffered greatly, died young, brought many people to the faith. People have to remember we live in a time of great saints and spiritual giants. I think, unlike any time in history, the bishops may not do exactly what we want. This does not absolve us from doing our work, it doesn't stop you. And also, people need to know they don't need the bishop's permission to do the work that was charged to them to do at baptism and confirmation. Um, you know, some people say, Well, I'm going to wait and hear what the bishop has to say. And I say, You know what? No, don't wait. Uh, you don't have to wait. And you don't even have to tell him, just go do it. Um, The way that the church was set up was that there's one Pope, a bunch of bishops, some more priests, and hundreds of millions of Catholics. Very clearly, the way he set it up was that we would be facing the world and conquering it for Christ. That's the way it's set up. So that Rome sometimes sends an uncertain trumpet, and the bishops don't always do exactly what we want, and we wish them to do more I say, so what? let's go let's go get the, let's go get the bad guys. we can beat them. I mean and I know that that's your attitude. That's the attitude of everybody that works for you. So you know we're happy warriors.
0: final question, Austin. One thing that is um, perhaps very, very difficult for people is the lack of the sacraments. As some of them still today around the world, have had no Masses in a year and a half. We've been very blessed uh, where we are, uh, I know where you are, to have brought back the Holy Sacrifice of the Mass for us. But some of these people are without. Sometimes um, lockdowns might come down again and and Masses, God forbid, will be, uh, you know, we'd be deprived again. What do you do in such times? What did you do during the lockdown? Um, And uh, how do you survive that?
1: We are blessed here that even when the lockdown happened, uh, our parish priest, let it be known that he would be saying his private mass at a certain time. And if anybody happened to be there, they could receive communion. <laughs> and we did that for a couple of weeks until somebody complained and the bishop said no more. Um, I found myself going to uh, a lot of funerals and baptisms and confirmations, actually quite by accident. You know, there, there's, a, there's a church that I that I go to to say prayers frequently. And I showed up one day at an odd time and the, the candles were set up and the, everything was set up. And I went, what's going on here? And it was a funeral. So I participated in the funeral mass. Uh, I took to uh, trolling the uh, funeral homes <laughs> to see when the masses were. Uh, you know, and, and, and uh, you know, we would go to church and we would, we would read the mass together as a family. Uh, our, our, our fellow parishioners would come and read it together. Um, you know, we tried to do it on TV one time and we were kneeling there and, and my daughter Lucy said, this feels so weird kneeling in front of the TV. <laughs> and it did. And so we stopped that. Um, but if it went on, I mean, I would, you know, you and I are, are fighters and I, I, I would have gone in for civil disobedience. You know, I see these videos of Canadians, you know, these guys from Rebel TV. Holy cow. I love these guys, you know, uh, doing battle in, in literally in the public square. Um, on, on these lockdowns, you know, and I see that uh, Polish pastor, uh, I wanted to send him money, you know, that viral video of him, him chasing them out of there. You know, I'm conflicted because we love the police, but golly, not when they do stuff like that. What if it got really bad here? I, I, I don't know what I would do, um, but I think I would get angry and I would do something. Um, you know, uh, we, have a, we have an absolute right um, to receive the sacraments. Um, and so I, I don't think that the government can stop it. And, and I think that Catholic men ought to be standing up around the world and, and, and truly fighting back.
0: Amen. Amen. Austin Ruse, thank you so very much for being with us in this episode of The John Hinner Weston Show.
1: Thank you so much. God bless you and yours. Keep
0: doing good, your good work. Thank you, Austin. God bless you. And God bless all of you. And we'll see you next time. Hi, this is John Henry Weston, the co-founder and editor-in-chief of LifeSite News. I'm coming to you today because we want to be sure that we are communicating clearly with you, our loyal followers. Things are really heating up, as I'm sure you can see. Christians, conservative truth-tellers are being targeted, are being banned from social media platforms like Facebook, Twitter, YouTube, and Instagram at an alarmingly fast rate. They are attempting to suppress any narrative that does not fit that of the mainstream media. We knew this day would come. We have been warning everyone who would listen and attempting to build up alternative platforms to continue to reach you. We have established ourselves on all sorts of platforms I'm going to explain in a minute, but the most important thing to do is come direct to LifesightNews.com because there we will always be. But we've also established ourselves on platforms like Parler and MeWe, and our videos can be found on Rumble as well. We would love to see each of you on those platforms too, as they are not censoring or suppressing the truth that we are sharing every single day. More than these alternative social media platforms, we highly encourage you to subscribe to our email newsletter. We have really built up a large list of loyal readers on our email marketing platform, and we have prepared several backup plans for, well, I want to say if, but it's really when, we are removed from our current platform as well. Additionally, I really encourage you, as I said before, to make it a regular habit to go directly to lifesitenews.com. Make it your homepage. While all of these different platforms are An excellent way to curate your news, going directly to our website means that you will never encounter any censorship or sudden loss of LifeSite News reporting. Here's the thing. We will never stop sharing the truth. We founded this organization with the mission to be the life, family, and culture source for men and women who seek to know the truth. We have established a track record of honest reports, and this will never stop even with censorship happening around the globe. Again, I'm encouraging you to join us on Parlor, MeWe, Rumble, and on our email list. You can find all the direct links in the description of this video. May God bless you and keep you, and we are so thankful that you've chosen to follow and support LifeSight News. I'm John Henry Weston, co-founder and editor-in-chief of LifeSight News.